You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now, head coach of the Running Rebels, Kevin Kruger. Good morning, Kevin. How coach, are you today? How are you? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Good. We're good. Uh, so, well, let's let's get right to Donovan Williams. Um, what do you, what's your expectation as the coach? Do you think Donovan Williams stays uh, in the NBA draft and turns pro? Uh, well, hopefully, if he you know if he has the ability to get drafted and go play for an NBA team, he, yeah, we'd love for him to stay in and and kind of achieve that goal and dream of his. And if he gets the uh, kind of the discussion of it, it'd be better to come back for a year than we'd love to have him back. But you know, we, we, we encourage all the guys, to, if they have a chance to get NBA workouts, to put their name in and, and go, uh, go, you know, get those workouts and get out in front of those NBA guys. Yeah. And how often Kevin, during the process, do you stay in touch with them or um, know of his workouts, know what they're telling him, um, or do you just kind of let them go and they're going to come back to you when all the evaluations are done? Um, well, a little bit of both. We kind of stay in touch with his camp and, and people that are, you know, we don't want to bother him too much with the thought of, you know, coming back, staying in, timeline, all that stuff. We want him to focus on getting better and getting ready for those workouts. And But, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of, of communication, just how'd it go, you know, how you feeling, you know, you know just kind of that discussion. But uh, as far as, you know, we want, we want him to have a clear head going into the workout so he can, uh, you know, hopefully go out and, and impress some people. The transfer portal has become a massive part of college basketball, and I'm curious if, if this was intentional on your part or maybe it's just the way that it played out. Did you want to go in the transfer portal and find really, really good defensive guys more than anything else you wanted out of guys in the portal? Yeah, I don't know if I, I – we definitely – we didn't finish the season thinking, well, we got to go get – you know, just defensive-minded guys because I thought we finished the year guarding really well. Um, but at the same time, we just seemed to kind of be more uh, drawn to those guys that uh, with uh, with kind of with a little more defensive uh, reputation, I guess. And again, going you know, knowing EJ Harkless and and knowing Eli Parquet uh, from past recruitments and people that have known him, it, it just kind of uh, worked out that way. Can you talk a little bit about uh, uh, Cottrell, um, Jordan McKay, they were uh, teammates of West Virginia coming home. And when you get a kid like that, um, you know, is that main, one of the main pushes to get him back where he knows people? I think so. I think, uh, you know, with the with transferring back, I think, you know, comfort level, you know, him and his mom knowing the area, knowing people here, and, um, you know, knowing a teammate in Jordan McKay, been a person that can – you know, when the coaches aren't around, you know, on a recruiting trip, they you know, you, you can have those honest conversations of what every day is like, and because uh, I think familiarity is as much of a key as anything now with as much parity as there is in in the college game. If you can get guys that are, you know, enjoying coming to the gym every day and and know what they're going to get into and know how to budget their time and and get better and and focus on what the the team needs to win, I think uh, I think that's a huge part of success, the team success. I know I asked you this last year. It might have been about the same time. Uh, do you have enough shooting on your team right now? <laughs> and I remember asking you. <laughs> you think we don't. Again, I don't think you do again. Yeah. Um, I. You know, it's one of those things. I think, you know, we continually shot the ball better throughout the year, uh, just improving looks, 
uh, for each other and, and creating opportunities for each other. And I think that the, that'll be a large part of this team as well. We'll, uh, we'll focus on creating advantages for each other, creating good looks for each other, and, and we'll work on it a lot of, of having that synergy between the, the guys. So, you know, giving good passes, creating advantages for each other, moving on penetration, those are things we worked on a lot last year, and I think uh, that's one of the reasons that the numbers increased throughout the year. Is the portal becoming tougher and tougher to manage on a daily basis? Um, I think that the, the – uh, I, I don't think so. I think uh, it's almost maybe the opposite just because there's – what is there, 1,500 names in it again? I think, uh, you know, the the hard part is now – or the hard part as the years go on is going to be, you know, we take a lot of – we put a lot of stock into having a relationship either from high school with the, the kid – transferring or knowing a coach that coached them or, you know, something where you're not just pulling it out of thin air and just hoping it works. And I think as the portal continues to grow and be a bigger emphasis, that that might be a concern going forward in the future, that there might not be as many people that you can touch and talk to about uh, the, the, the guy in the portal. Is it uh, largely relationships, or, or what is it that you look for? Because you guys did it last year and again this year where guys are coming from you know, a power conference school that maybe weren't getting as much playing time as, as they wanted, and they come here, and we saw with Donovan Williams and Royce Ham, it worked out really well for them. Like, w- What is it that you look for to identify, hey, that guy is maybe only getting a few minutes a game. If we take him and play him 25, 30 minutes, he's going to be really good at UNLV. Yeah, I think that's just one of those things that kind of goes back to the relationships of of the people you know and trust that you can talk to. So, you know, with Donovan and Royce, uh, Carlin and I both had a a relationship with those guys from recruiting them in high school. And and then, you know, knowing a couple of guys that were on the staff at Texas that could give us an, an honest what every day is going to be like for those guys. And, um, and, and we kind of mold that into what we, what we try to do and how we try to do everything on a daily basis. And, you know, Donovan ends up shooting 43 and a half percent Royce at 39% from three. So, you know, we, we, we felt that with more opportunity and with the uh, kind of diving into them every day, um, they would uh, kind of be able to do what, what, what they were kind of thought of being able to do from high school. And I thought uh, it worked, like you said, it worked out really well for both of them, just having more of an opportunity. We're seeing now daily updates on NILs and some of the things kids at Power Fives are getting or being offered. Um, you know, how difficult is this? And you get a sense that maybe non-Power Fives who maybe can't offer NILs at others, is this, is this going to hurt uh, non-Power Fives or is this something you just you, know, you accept, say, look, this is what we can do for you, um, here's what we have, and, you know, others are going to do what they're going to do and you can't really get caught up in it? Yeah, I don't think you can get you can't worry about it too much. It's just kind of like, you know, it used to be facilities or conference or or TV deal or or what it may have been where if a bigger school with more exposure jumps in, they'd get the kid. And now, uh, you know, I think it's it's just one of those scenarios where you know, if the if the, first of all, if the kid's being told they're going to get something or it's guaranteed what they're going to get, that that goes against one of the NCAA rules, but you know, if they choose to believe that and it, it happens for them, then it is what it is. But you're kind of taking a little bit of a risk there. And But we feel we're in a great spot with, you know, being in Vegas with the support and the, the love for UNLV that the town has, that um, this could be as good of a spot for NIL as, as there is in the country. And, 
you know we we're to, we'd love for the it to be private to be honest i mean right. i think that right. a lot of times that i i don't think that the kids should disclose i certainly don't think the people representing the kids or the players should disclose what they're making right um i, I don't think that i think there should that should stay in house with them if they want to brag about what they're getting and that that's up to them but um I think it's just kind of one of those things that it's the new nature of the beast. And until we get a little more structure and, and rules around it, it's just kind of going to continue on this path. I mean, Kevin, I personally enjoy that somebody's willing to tweet out how much exactly Nigel Pack is going to get from an NIL deal going to Miami. It's, it's great. Oh, it's great for discussion. No question. But now, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's, and it's great for Nigel Pack if he gets all that on a financial basis. Um, but, I would have to believe that Nigel could have a little more clear mind and do a little, be a little more focused if he wasn't uh, didn't have that spotlight on him. You had some uh, changes on your staff. Uh, that happens as well um, when guys have to leave or see uh, other positions as something they want to do. Uh, were you expecting this? And then uh, you seem to fill them pretty uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, no, I mean, I wouldn't say we expected it. Knew that it was a possibility. But uh, you know, losing you know Coach Hartman and Coach Buckley is, is lost a lot of experience. But I think I feel we we uh, filled those spots in with guys with a lot of experience and a lot of connections, and and uh, couldn't be more excited about the, the potential of this staff. I thought our, our chemistry chemistry as a staff was really good last year, and I think the chemistry of this staff will be uh, really good as well. And I think that's uh, that's also a big part of it when the when the team knows that the staff's on one page and you know, sending the same message, and it uh, it helps them as well. This might prove to be true every year, but it feels like anything that happened in one year of college basketball almost becomes irrelevant for the next year because, like, for you example, you guys have landed five guys out of the transfer portal. You've lost two assistant coaches. That it's it's like it's a year to year sport. There's not really a whole lot of building that goes on for programs as much anymore. Yeah, I think that's kind of the way it, the the pendulum swinging right now. I. I think I do think in time it'll go back the other direction where guys spend more time at at one place and the transfer numbers decrease. But I think right now we're in the in the height of transferring and moving and, and changing destinations. But um, there there is a you know you do of course you want to you'd love to have more time with guys and more years so that you can you know develop the relationship to uh, you know to have that level of comfort of understanding uh, in each direction. What are your discussions when the kid walks in your office and says, I'm going to transfer? Okay. Yeah, is that it? <laughs> I mean, pretty much. I mean, is it, that it? Are you just uh, Is it depending on who it is? Or do you ask why for, I don't know, future kids, or do they give you reasons? I mean, is it a quick conversation? Well, we, you know, the first thing we do with, with every single player at the end of the year for the meetings is, is just ask if they want to come back. Right. Um, and then it, it just kind of stems from there. Um, but if no, if, if somebody wants to go into the portal and they want to search something out, there, there's never going to be animosity from our side. And if we feel it's better for them and they feel it's better for them to move, then we'll do whatever we can to make them have as great a college experience as possible. And if we feel that, you know, we still are the best opportunity for them, then, then we'll tell them that. Um, but, uh, you know, like we talked about a few times, even last summer with Bryce, I had the relationship with him and Jamie, his mom, to where, you know, we didn't have to call him every day. We just, we had that understanding and, and relationship to where we kind of, we 
his mom came into town. We laid out what the year was going to be like for him. We thought, and and uh, and that's kind of that was kind of it. A few more conversations through the draft process and the portal, and he decided to come back. And you know, but every guy is different, and uh, every guy's looking for something maybe different. All right, it's early, it's early May. Season's a long ways away. What's Kevin Kruger watching at night? Oh gosh, well right now, if it's not the NBA playoffs. It's Bravo Channel because I have no control over the remote. Oh, and, Bravo! Oh yeah, my, oh. My, my wife's a she's a fan of Bravo Bravo yeah. Channel. Yeah, so uh, I, I get that it, at the house. If, if the playoffs aren't on, yeah, we're watching uh, one of those shows. Oh, I get that at the house too. Oh, what a disaster! I mean, which one are you? Which one do you watch? I mean, is this this is the channel with the housewives? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the, 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 the Beverly Hills and the Atlanta and the Miami, it's just a disaster. And you know one's coming on Las Vegas. I can't believe they're not here yet. I, I, we were talking about that the other night. How is there not a real Housewives of Las Vegas? <laughs> I don't know. It, you know, it's coming. They've gone to a couple of cities where, like, come on, Vegas will be a million times better. You're not a Netflix guy like Ozarks or something like that? I do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on uh, – I, I spend more time once, once that – done i'll uh i'll switch over and right now i'm in on castle on hulu okay okay there you go kevin kruger and ed graney can bond over watching what real housewives of beverly hills is there one in atlanta too there's one in atlanta they're everywhere and the, and the the big the big thing in our house is the reunions when they all sit around and oh, talk yeah. to each other and, and they go <laughs> oh, back yeah. those, and, are, oh. those are big times oh god <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> All right. Well, he's Kevin Kruger, head coach of the Running Rebels and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills aficionado. Kevin, we appreciate your thanks, time coach. this morning. No, thanks, guys. See you. Oh, bravo. <sighs> See, Disaster. Ed, this is why today I'm getting my TVs mounted. I'm going to have three on the wall, and I, I don't have to watch Bravo on any of them. Do you know what Bravo is? I mean, I'm aware it's a channel. Okay. I went to their website. It's it's the channel I realize now that I watched that uh, Below Deck show that Max Gill oh, was that, on. Oh, is that is Bravo is the Below Deck as well? Yes, okay. Below Deck. So when Max Gillum was on there eating sushi off of a model, that was on Bravo Channel. So I, I have watched it. I have 100% watched it. And I didn't hate that show. That show wasn't a bad one. Uh, I, I haven't watched it again. Uh, I know. I think Adam Hill told me that Steve Cofield watches like every episode of that show now. I've watched one episode, and it was when you told me he was on. <laughs> when you told me he was on, yeah, he's got. Every time I go over to my mom's house, doesn't matter what time of day or what day, for some reason that show is always on. Her <laughs> and my stepdad. Wait, the housewives? Below, no, the below, below deck. deck. There apparently there's like two or three variations. They oh, love really? it. My mom and my stepdad <sighs> love that show. I mean, I didn't know how you could top. Uh, eating sushi offer so I, I i i said well they're not going to top this so i never went back to the show well the, the best part about that so max gillum unlv quarterbacks on the show gets like kind of in trouble for it unlv puts out a statement condemning it and like <laughs> the worst he did was i don't i don't even he didn't even do anything bad i wouldn't say he did anything bad on that show but like and i i uh on technically correct right i interviewed the chef yeah i remember from that. the boat i remember that and one of the things she said, she was like, Max and his friends were great. She was like, they were probably the best behaved of any yes, guests very respectful we've, kids. we've ever yes. had. She yeah. was like, most of these people come on this boat and suck. And she was like, no, <laughs> they were great. So 
what Ma- Max Gillum's show was probably one of the tamest shows they've ever had, but also maybe one of the most viewed because everybody in college football was like, huh, this UNLV kid's <laughs> over here eating sushi. I remember Levitar just went on a huge rant. Like, why isn't every kid in the world going to UNLV? They're eating, eating sushi off models. He goes, that is a, he goes, that might be the best recruiting tool you've got. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs. 47. Okay. Actually, 51. I don't know why I lied just then. Thanks to Kevin Kruger for joining us at 9 o'clock. If you missed that, it'll be on the podcast, lvsportsnetwork.com, or anywhere you subscribe two podcasts coming up in a few minutes we'll have jerry cantrell tickets to give away ed before i get into bischoff's briefs uh did you take anything away from kevin Kruger saying they weren't expecting to lose any assistant coaches in the offseason um no i don't know if you i don't know if you expect to lose them but you know when guys get better offers or you know jobs they consider bigger offers and better jobs i mean you lose them i don't i don't know if you go into an offseason expecting to lose coaches you expect to lose players yeah. Okay. I just that that was interesting when he said he he didn't wouldn't say they expected to lose anybody and then they end up losing two assistant coaches in the same offseason. So now they've got almost a new staff under Kevin Kruger, which is by the way, it's it's the year to year part of college basketball. It's it's from the coaching side, but it's and from the player side now where you're going to have an entire new roster next year. I mean, UNLV, I think, is it right now five guys are coming back? Yeah, Maybe five. six if Donovan Williams does. Like, it's it's pretty absurd. And then you throw on top of that, two of the three assistant coaches are gone, and you only have one assistant coach coming back. It's interesting. Now, an interesting take. Uh, Jordan Sperber, who has the Hoops Vision account and website, he tweeted this out after Oscar Shibway announced that he was coming back to Kentucky. Oscar Shibway was the national player of the year, getting some NIL money coming to Kentucky rather than turning pro. But Jordan Sperber tweeted out, the combination of NIL and the NBA's disinterest in back-to-basket bigs are going to make the college game and NBA game as divergent as they've ever been. And I thought this was fascinating because basically true post-up big men aren't really great NBA prospects. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get anymore. a lot. Right. Not going to get a lot of, of NBA hype, even if they're awesome in college, which means college basketball, you can have a guy that averages like 19 points, 12 rebounds a game, can be the best player on a team that goes far in the NCAA tournament. And that guy might not have any legitimate chance at getting drafted. And the interesting part that Jordan Sperber brought up is that now with the NIL, there's the legitimate possibility that that guy, who might not have great draft but helped lead a college team really far, through NIL, he, he might be able to find sponsors to pay him a million dollars, maybe? Are we going to see a lot of that in the future? And that could be a reason for these kids to come back to school and help make more money playing in college. Basketball. I think the kid at Kentucky might've gotten a million, right? Yeah, he, he did. He did. Yeah. And so that's an interesting place where we're going to be in basketball because we view college basketball a lot of times as sort of a, a one year development for guys going to the NBA, but we might have more and more 
back to the basket, post up led teams because that type of player is going to thrive more in college and now probably make more money in college than they would going pro. And there's an important detail here. Post-ups are better in college basketball than they are in the NBA. And there's a couple of reasons. One, you're more likely to have a physical matchup advantage in college basketball, right? If you've got a good back-to-the-basket guy, there's a good chance you're playing a team that just doesn't have a good defensive post player, right? Or there's a, they might be playing really small, right? You might have your 6'10 guy who's really good. It might be a 6'1 guy on him a lot. And in college basketball, you should probably post that up all the time. That's harder to find in the NBA because most guys are not well, physically. They're, they're somewhat the right. same. Right. So it's a lot easier to find the mismatches. And the other part of it in college basketball is post-up play is going to be better simply because in the NBA, guys are much better shooters. Guys are much better drivers. Like there's more efficient ways to score in the NBA. And in college basketball, there's more efficient ways to score. But like you take Wyoming this year, for example, their best offense a lot of the time was just a straight post-up because it's not like Wyoming, who was a good team. They didn't have a ton of options of guys who could just create their own shot. But <laughs> Wyoming ran the same offense every right. time down the court. It, it just depended on do they want their point guard or they yeah. want their center to post up. Yeah. It was the same play every time. So in theory, post-up players work in college basketball a lot more often than they're going to work in the NBA. And I'm what I'm curious to see is does this create um, – almost like a market inefficiency in the grand scheme of basketball. Basically, can you win a title or maybe at a lower level, take a UNLV level, can you win a conference title, right? If you recruit back-to-the-basket post-up guys that you then know or think, we can keep these guys around for a couple of years. Because if if you go out and you recruit the best, you know, wing player in high school, right? You're getting that kid for one year, right? If you get the best wing player in in high school basketball to come play college basketball for you, he's coming to your school for one season. And then he's going pro because the best wing player is almost always going to be one of the best or top picks in the NBA draft. But if you go out and recruit the best back to the basket post-up player, you've got a much better shot at keeping that guy around for two or three years. And when we talk about a sport where it's year to year and guys are transferring and going pro and all this every single off season, if you could bring in a, you know, a four or five star recruit, that's really good back to the basket can be your leading scorer with his back to the basket. There might be a market inefficiency where, okay, that guy's going to come back for his sophomore and his junior year. And he's going to be the best player in the conference for three seasons. Whereas if I get the number one wing, I I got him for one year. He's going to be great, but it's only one year. So I'm curious if this creates some sort of market inefficiency where, yes, post-ups in general are less efficient, but maybe you should go after it because it'll help set you up. They're going to stay around. You don't even have to be the best wing in the country coming in. You could be a wing, you know, you could be a Donovan Williams and you have him for one year when you recruit him and and he's going to go to the pros. Right. Donovan Williams is a great example, right? He's a wing player. He is the the body type the NBA wants. 6'6", potentially a great shooter, could be a good defender. If you you had the same level of player, but the guy is 6'10", doesn't shoot threes, and is just really good footwork in the paint and can score on most people, 
that guy's probably not getting drafted. Right. That guy's probably not. I mean, he might not even be entering his name. Oh, in the, the big, NBA the big from Michigan year. went back to school. Right. Exactly. Yes. So there, it, there might be a market inefficiency that you that teams might need to exploit to sort of keep guys around for a couple of years in a level of basketball that's you know better for that type of player. Coming up next, Jr. Starkus joins the show. Ready for the weekend? It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. Let's find out what's on tap with J.R. Starkus. Champagne, perfume going in, sewage coming out. Here he is, at J.R. Starkus on Twitter. Key account executive, Southern Glazers, Wine Spirits, Mixologist, our extreme mixologist, every Thursday here at 930 on the Press Box. How you doing, buddy? Good morning, guys. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah. What's going on with the kid? I heard a... I- I heard uh, he's doing all right tonight. Today's the last game of the season, and then oh. they start playoffs. So okay. uh, it goes by so quick, man. It's incredible. But yeah, today's the last game of the season, and then playoffs start. So they uh, they win today, and they're the number one seed going into their division. If they lose, then I think they're number two seed. So it's a, right. it's a big game for them today. Big game. Is yep. is your son on the mound? Is he pitching in this big game? He's not pitching today. No, he pitched the last game. He got absolutely shelled. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, you know, it happens. He got Shelby knows it too. Um, but that's, uh, that's the way of, that's the way about it. So he came home and he just kind of like, after the game, he looked at me and, and, and I looked at him and I was like, that's a tough day out there. Huh? And he's like, uh, he's like, well, he's like, I just got to do better next game. So, um, I, you know, I, to a degree, like I can respect that, that, uh, he knows he did not play well. He knows he didn't pitch well. Um, his teammates knows his teammates know he didn't pitch well and, he, um, you know, he got hit, he got beat up a little bit, but he shook it off and he's ready for today. So I can, I can respect that because I think at my, at his age, I, the same JR probably would have uh, let that eat me up a little bit more. So I, I respect it that he can, he knows he did it, shake it off, move on and leave it behind you. So. We have a question from a listener here that you need to break down. Michael Jordan and LeBron James both have a tequila companies apparently, and they're finalists for the same award. Which one is better? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like like most things, um, you know, it really comes down to your your personal kind of taste. Um, they're the the Lobos brand that's owned by LeBron James and um, by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Frankly, they're both kind of in on the same brand. Um, is 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 much different, uh, much drier style of tequila than uh, than Michael Jordan's brand, which is uh, a little on the sweeter side, right? Um, you by by rule with with tequila, you can add up to one percent of additives uh, to any hundred percent agave tequila and still be called hundred percent agave tequila. That includes caramel coloring, sugar. Etc. And it is a common practice in the world of tequila for a lot of brands to add that as a um, as something to help soften the agave taste or or make it taste a little bit sweeter. Because there is no question that the uh, American palate is uh, it's used to the to the sweet side. So I would tell you if you um, if you more of like an authentic style of tequila, then I would say to go with Lobos. Um, and if you like something that is um, perceived a little bit sweeter on the palate, uh, then I would say um, the Michael Jordan's brand would be the one to go with. Who in the spirits world, celebrity-wise, have done the best job? Ryan Reynolds? Um, well, depends on what you want to look at, because like 
But you, so you look here, you have like George Clooney, and Randy Gerber, which was Casamigos. That that brand sold a few years ago for uh, one billion dollars. I think that's pretty good, right? Um, and then Ryan Reynolds has done a great job. Nobody has done a better job, like in my opinion, with the funny advertising and the marketing than Ryan Reynolds. Uh, but he's marketing a gin, and that's less of a um, less of a consumer draw than a tequila is, especially right now. Tequila is rapidly rising to the number one spirit in the world. Um, so he, he's done a great – like, he's the most fun for me to watch because he does some cool stuff. But right now, I would say the king of the hill is probably The Rock with Terramana Tequila. Um, he, he's, he's got so many Instagram followers. I think it's, like, close to 300 million followers now or something ridiculous like that, that, you know, one post has some, so much of an impression. Um, he, he's probably the one doing the best job right now. I mean, Terramana Tequila, we, can't, we cannot keep this stuff in stock. It's unbelievable how much of it sells. I mean, it's, it's, it's brutal. I mean, we couldn't even keep it in stock enough for Cinco de Mayo, which is today. It's crazy. Do either Michael Jordan or LeBron James, are, are they significantly involved in their tequilas or, or not much at all? Um, you know, if you're asking me from my standpoint, I'd say no, right? Because, you know, you, other than them, like holding a bottle, they're not working the brand. Michael Jordan and LeBron James aren't making appearances to sign their bottles. Um, and, and, you know, like, I don't really see much like Ryan Reynolds, you see him on a social media, like promoting the brand and interviewing himself and, and really pushing aviation gin. Um, you don't see LeBron or Michael Jordan really doing much of that other than, you know, Hey, here's a picture of me with my brand in my hand. Um, so, you know, unless you're, unless you know that they own those brands, it's, it's, it, it could potentially perceive as nothing more than a celebrity holding a bottle, which happens all the time. Um, so you know, they, I would say in, in, in my world, they're not doing a ton with their brands other than saying, you know, hey, I own these. And, and as a matter of fact, like some of these brands, like LeBron James's brand, um, there's another one like Fletcher Azul that's Mark Wahlberg. Um, some of these brands don't even want to lead with the fact that they own the brand. Um, they're more about like, oh, no, we want to sell it on the uh, on, on the merit of the brand itself. So some of these celebrities are like, no, no, don't don't lead with the fact that I own it. I don't want somebody to buy it because I because I own it. I want somebody to buy it because I think it's good. Um, for a marketing tool that can, that could be good or bad, it really depends. Um, I think for the general consumer, the person who's shopping at Lee's, Total Wine, or whatever the case is, um, I think that person needs to see a celebrity attached to it because if they don't know the brand like I would, being on the inside, it, it's it's what they can. Uh, attach itself to um, that kind of personal relationship with that actor or actress that they may love. Celebrities, aren't they more apt to do wine? Um, they're, celebrities are all over it. I mean, you know, I think you find somebody like a George Clooney and a Randy Gerber, right, where they hit a home run with Casamigos tequila, and then you find, like, all the other celebrities, like, oh, I want to do that too. And they quickly realize how, actually, how important they are in the public's view. Um there, there are a lot of celebrities that have launched brands that have failed or are currently in the market not doing very well or have been discontinued because they either, A, didn't work the brand appropriately or, B, realized after the fact that, well, I, I, guess, I guess I'm not as big of a celebrity as I thought or my, my, my grip on um, uh, the world is very, is, is very in tune with one specific demographic. Maybe it's, you know, hey, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, my demo is 21 to 27-year-old females. Well, you're skewing out a lot of other people, especially ones when you're charging, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy dollars for a bottle of tequila. So it's 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 very specific, and so I think a lot of celebrities get into it because they see somebody else hit a home run, and and there's some disposable income there where they say, okay, well, 
I'm going to do this. If it fails, it's a write-off. Um, if it makes, if it, if it succeeds, then um, I'm even more popular than I am now, and, and I'll get more money. So um, it, it's a very interesting mindset. It's not an easy market to get into. Um, and if you know my my advice for any celebrity getting into a brand is, if you're not going to take the brand seriously and actually work the brand, um, you can almost, I would say, 60% of the time expect it to fail. All right, we got to go. Mother's Day. What do you got? It's Mother's Day, so really easy cocktail, and it's kind of a two-for-one cocktail today because what I'm because today's obviously Cinco de Mayo, and I wanted to do kind of a uh, a tequila cocktail for Cinco de Mayo, but Mother's Day is obviously very important. So um, for Mother's Day, I, I chose to build a drink um, with three ingredients. The first ingredient is a tequila called 21 Seeds. 21 Seeds has three variants. They have a cucumber jalapeno, they have a grapefruit and hibiscus, and then they have a Valencia orange, and I choose... The, I chose to use the Valencia Orange. This is going to be a built drink over ice in a big, a large like wine glass or a large mouth glass of some sort, maybe a snifter. Uh, two ounces of the 21 Seeds Valencia Orange right over the ice in your large wine glass. Follow that by uh, four to five ounces of a Brute Sparkling Rosé wine. I chose Mum Napa, uh, a really affordable sparkling rosé wine. Pour that right over uh, into the glass with the 21 seeds. And then the last ingredient is a half of an ounce of Leger Creme de Cassis, which is a black currant liqueur from France, uh, which will add a little bit of sweetness to the drink. Pour that right on top. Garnish it with some fresh frozen. I froze my blackberries because I wanted them extra cold. And a sprig of mint. You can give it a little stir, and that drink will become like a purplish pink. And it's a perfect Mother's Day drink. Now, since you're going to the store and you're saying, well, I'm buying 21 seeds and I'm buying Leger Creme de Cassis, here's a drink that you can do for Cinco de Mayo with those same ingredients. You take two ounces of the 21 seeds, pour it over ice in a Collins glass, a quarter to a half of an ounce of fresh lime juice, top it with Fever Tree ginger beer, okay, and then float that same lemon, uh, Creme de Cassis on top. That drink is a very classic tequila cocktail called the Diablo, and that's two ways for you to use the same ingredients one for Cinco de Mayo today and one for Mother's Day on, on Sunday. Uh, but I think both you'll be very impressed with and both very, very different in their style. Oh, my God. Mother's Day is on Sunday? Already, oh, buddy. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> well, she she wasn't even excited when you called her to say you're engaged. So when Mother's Day rolls around, she, she probably won't even answer your phone. No, probably not. So she'll say hello, be like, <laughs> oh, it's Mother's Day. And then she'll be back to the chickens or the pigs or the goats or who knows what. <laughs> It's always interesting Mother's Day because you know my you know I I take my mom out to 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 breakfast or brunch or whatever and I ask my son what he's doing for his mom you know because oh. I, I told him I said hey what do you what are you doing for your mom I said I you know it's not my mom that's that's your mom so what are you doing for her and I always get I wind up get so I wind up taking everybody out to brunch yeah yeah lines up yeah. Or, yeah yeah the son yeah. took it's the wife not... to a sushi the other night. I, I, he, well, he got all you can eat, and I think he put a limit on what she could get, but uh, at least he paid for it. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, why? Like, even if she doesn't eat a lot of sushi, it's, I mean, unless you're only getting like one roll, it's always the better deal to get the all you can eat. Yeah, but she can't. She's not going to do all you can eat. He can pound away like 60 rolls yeah. if he wants. She, she gets like a couple rolls. That's still that worth it, point though, is, is what JR said. The couple rolls, if you do in, in a la carte, is probably still the same price or more than all you can eat. Yeah, they don't they don't take me, so I was home eating peanut butter and jelly, so I didn't know what the, the final you bill was. You didn't get invited? No. And Well, I was on my way home, and she's like, Tristan's taking me to dinner for Mother's Day. And I said, oh. I go, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty close. She goes, well, we'll see you when you get home. 
<laughs> well, she goes, we'll see, you, we'll see you when we get home. So, uh, yeah, that was me watching the Dodgers with a little PB&J. Sure. Oh, I love Poor it. Man. And that sounds like something that would happen at my house, too. Yeah. You're not invited. We're going. See you later. Yeah. Poor well, ass. he wasn't paying for me, believe me. <laughs> He's going to ask for separate checks. Yes, yes. Give parents. this guy his own check, please. He may sit you at a separate table. That guy's not with us. <laughs> we don't know him. Sit him over there. Well, he's J.R. Starkus, Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. J.R., as always, we appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Good luck to the kid. You bet, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, man. See you. So there is J.R. Starkus. Hopefully his son doesn't get shelled anymore. (laughs) (laughs) How did he do? Oh, he got shelled. Terrible outing. Worst start of his career. All right. We've got Jerry Cantrell tickets to give away. He is coming to Las Vegas on Saturday. Jerry Cantrell from uh, Allison Chains. He'll be at House of Blues Saturday nine o'clock show you can buy tickets at Ticketmaster or win a pair from us right now 702-364-1100 is the phone number that's 702-364-1100 if you want to go see jerry cantrell be caller number seven at 702-364-1100 we're back to the press box morning show with ed graney and tyler bischoff do you see this i didn't know this i saw danny saw it a large mountain lion escaped police two days ago in the middle of Las Vegas and hasn't been seen since. I saw a picture of one laying in somebody's backyard. Is that the same one? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, goodness. It yeah, might be good. the same one. I'm not 100% sure on That's that. That's not good. Listen, you people over on the west side of the city, you guys have mountain lions. <laughs> I know. They're never over here. No, they're always walking through Summerlin homes. Yeah, I don't know what you people are doing with your mountain lions. I've never seen a scorpion. You've got scorpion oh, traps around your yeah, house. Got them all over. Never, sure. never even seen one out here. Let alone how to be worried about trapping well, one. They're out there. You just don't know it yet. You live be careful the, putting your shoes on. You live in the damn jungle over on that <laughs> side of town. Your mother would big, love it. Big cats and all this crap. I don't. Know. I haven't. I haven't seen an animal at my house beside my dog in like a decade. <laughs> They, they can't survive over here. I guess there was that one baby bird that got pushed into our backyard, and we had to make sure it survived. But that was about it. If your mom no had animals. a choice, she'd live in Summerlin. Lions? <laughs> All right. Tame them. She'd, she'd be, tame them. She'd be tracking them down, being like, come here. Come, <laughs> come live on. with me. Come on. Let's go. I'll start come, breeding you for some reason. Did I tell you she, got, she apparently got rabbits? No. No. Yeah, I... She, I was talking to my grandmother, and my grandma was like, "Yeah, she got rabbits. She's gonna, she just got a female, so she's gonna breed them or something." Oh, I'm like, "What the hell goodness. is she doing with rabbits?" Now she's going, well, the breeding part. She'll have a lot of rabbits. It's apparently, and she won't even notice. She doesn't even know how many animals she has. Man. Every time I ask her, she can't answer the question. What animals are inside? Dogs are Dogs. inside. Dogs have got to be inside. And I think that's the only one. Okay. The rest are out um, on the farm. The rest are out on the farm. Yeah, maybe. So she had cats, but they were not like, like they were like feral cats she found. Right, right. And she like managed to be like, hey, come here and live in this outside my house thing that she built. Um, I So I don't think the cats are inside. Maybe that's changed because she's they've been, whatever, living there for a while. But I think just the dogs are inside and everything else is outside. Danny, you know she has a farm, right? 
Yes, oh. I was I was here one day when he did describe her situation down there. But her like yeah. her bringing in the random cats. That's that's like my girlfriend in our neighborhood. She found a neighborhood cat. She she went to the store, bought a little home to put outside for it. She bought it food and all that stuff. Oh, you start feeding it, it's never going away. And it never went away. No. And then she was like, she kind of sort of convinced me to allow her to keep it as our cat. In the and, house? Yeah. Oh. But the day that she was going to bring it into the house, it disappeared and it hasn't come back. And that was almost three well, months ago. There are lions around, Danny, so. And the thing is, I and I kind of joke with her all the time about it is that she's highly allergic to cats her mom is deathly allergic to cats and she's like no it'll be okay i'll just take an allergy pill i was like i, oh, I don't know if no. that's how it goes and the, and the cat disappeared yeah a cat disappeared we believe it belonged to the people behind us but we're not a hundred percent sure i believe I was you gonna saw, say, i believe you saw a coyote in your neighborhood well, well, I was going to say, I think you guys stole somebody's cat is what was happening there. <laughs> oh, we, we 100% never stole it. It just didn't go away. Yeah, but well, you, you start it. feeding it. When and you, you start stole feeding the cat. it, it's not going yeah. away. Uh, That's well, what happened there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we also think that because it was declawed and it was kept outside. So we think that the owners just were terrible owners and never let it in the house. Because it was it was on our patio for two not sure weeks. that's enough reason to steal the cat I, technically we didn't steal it we just fed it but it never came in our house it stayed outside but okay but you bought it a house a tiny one yeah <laughs> i i love animals if i was deathly allergic to dogs or cats i would not have them like what what is wrong with you people that are allergic go go get a reptile that you're not allergic to come on figure this out Unbelievable. And you're not allergic to birds, are you? No, uh, bees. Uh, well, uh, your, don't mom go to my mother's I, house. your mother's house would not be good for me. Oh,